Hello, and welcome to Promote the Hell Out of It. I am your host, Mr. Hiyo, and on the podcast, I talk to all types of people. I have conversations that are important to our own personal development, to furthering our businesses, and to society as a whole. I am pretty much open to talking to anyone, as long as those conversations are eye-opening and are conversations I want to keep on talking about and keep on thinking for a long time. And today's episode is one of those that I am, as always, excited to share with everyone. I talk to Eleanor Snare. They are an artist, a writer, a mentor, a business coach, a poet, an educator, the list goes on. But they are someone who cares about well-being, about sustainability, about everything that I care about. And I couldn't be more excited to share this encouraging conversation with you all. If you do enjoy it, please share it with everyone else. That's what makes doing this worthwhile. And if you can give us a thumbs up if you're listening on YouTube, if you can follow on Spotify or on iTunes, give us a rating. That, as always, is extremely helpful. All the links for Ella are below. And without any further ado, here is the conversation I had with Eleanor Snare. Eleanor, I am so happy to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for making time for us. How are you? Uh, uh, you're welcome. I'm very well, thank you. Uh, I'm excited. I wish the weather was a bit better, but I'm hoping that this weekend we're going to actually get summer again and it's going to come back I know, and be right? glorious. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the hope. I can't believe we're halfway through June and the weather's mm, like just, this. It's summer solstice on Friday. I and, know, and last I know. year it was like this amazing, beautiful weather and then this year I think oh that's it is it we had like two days (laughs) (laughs) I know well let's avoid doing the typical thing of talking about the weather (laughs) for ages because we could talk about it for a long time unfortunately Uh, I have so much that I want to talk to you about but I want to start off by encouraging anyone who listens to this to check out your website because I found it so incredibly refreshing I find it so oh. rare to find people who work in, uh, in this field that have your point of view of the world. And I just want to thank you for making me feel so encouraged whilst reading your website. Oh, that's great. I'm really glad you said that. I've, um, my website is a kind of, as with many people, is a constant source of tension. And I try and wrangle the best way to put forward. Okay. You know, if you have lots and lots of strings to your bow it can be difficult sometimes to kind of include them all and to make it feel like a space where different people can can read it and get something from it so that you saying that is um heartwarming I can definitely relate to to doing so many things Mm. that sometimes it's difficult to to put it on a website and and sell yourself in the best way but I think that that the way you've approached it is is a kind and ethical way which generally means that anyone who reads it regardless of of what aspect they're on your website because of what you do I think they will they will gain a lot oh from great it. that's really kind thank you so I know that you've been working on a lot recently mm-hmm. uh, and the first thing I wanted to touch on is that I saw you've updated your manifesto on sustainable yes. business and marketing yes, and 
it's a subject I love because anything that's about challenging society's current trend of this constant economic growth mm -hmm. is, is exactly what I want to be talking about on the podcast. So could you maybe update us a little bit about, about your thoughts and, and the update you've done on the manifesto? Sure. So I wrote ages ago. So I used to, my business used to focus purely on my freelance business, supporting other creative people in marketing their businesses. Um, and over time, what happened was that people were coming to me as ostensibly for marketing support, but it ended up being more about confidence boosting, communication skills, kind of fundamental feeling good about yourself so that you could tell other people about what you're doing. Um, so originally yeah. I'd written that kind of sustainable marketing manifesto as a way for me to like a, I guess, um, checkpoints or a baseline for me to make sure that I followed it when I was encouraging my clients to do certain yeah. marketing tactics yeah. and revisiting it recently. I realized that actually these are things that apply to business practices. So daily operations, products that you make, services that you make. Um, ways that you talk about like literally anything to do with your business so I wanted yep. to to update it and I also wanted to add in some just I suppose refinements to it and I've added in a question underneath each of the um, components of my definition the reason I did that was because I thought actually sometimes it's really really hard to get your head around well I might want this but how do I put it into practice so the questions um, are a way for, for me to do that and if anyone's reading that thinking oh this sounds great I, this is something that I want to do it's like a question they can start to ask themselves um, but yes. the definition is based on um, when I was in academia so I was a le university lecturer part-time for three years and a guest lecturer before that for about two um, and sort of grounded in research and I did some research projects along my teaching alongside my teaching and they were very much focused on Sustain, the intersection between sustainability business and the kind of I suppose the intangible so one of the projects yeah. I did um, independently was about how digital fashion consumption affects physical fashion consumption so I was really interested in fashion as, as when I was studying for my MA so if we look at more stuff on things like Pinterest or Instagram, does it increase or decrease our desire and our consumption of things in real life? Now, this was, I mean, God, this was years ago. This must have been 2012 that I was talking about that. So I was very much of the like, oh, possibly it could actually reduce our need to buy things because we're seeing more, we're almost like owning things by proxy. Okay. Um, yeah. Don't think that's happened. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, that's kind of where I came from and then we did some projects I did some projects with a colleague of mine about um, the barriers that are presented for for businesses when they want to adopt eco innovations in any you know um, yeah. so any sustainability process innovation but a lot of my definition of sustainable business business and marketing comes from that research and comes from the idea of sustainability is more than the material experience of the world it's more than the environmental experience of the world so that's why I use those four pillars from the Brundtland report human social environmental and economic sustainability and human for me is the most important one and it's the one that basically gets missed off so when you hear people talking about the triple bottom line they say people planet profit they're talking about social 
environmental and economic sustainable development they're not talking about human which is on an individual level um yeah and when I started like reading a little bit more about that pillar I found it so exciting and interesting and it's so um fitted with the work that I do in mentoring and coaching people that the manifesto is now like me trying to kind of bring that together. It's an iterative approach, so it's going to develop over time. Um, no, that's great. That's yeah, idea, but that's yeah. kind of where I'm at with it at the moment. That's it's great because I've been doing a lot of research recently into how business uses a fake form of of empathy when they kind of look at, at who they want to sell to. They see an issue, a problem that they've got. And then they try and, and make the most profit out yeah. of that. And and it's almost using empathy, turning it on its side and corrupting it until it's something absolutely yeah. horrific. Um, so I was really interested in seeing sustainability ethics in general talked about within the structure mm. of business is such an important aspect of of the future for our society yeah. in general. And this, sorry, I no. guess, yeah, Karen. I was just going to say, I think one of the challenges is that with marketing in particular, people get very pissed off when they're marketed to in a way that doesn't that doesn't effectively fulfill their need. No one gets annoyed if they're sold a product that fulfills a need, <laughs> but they're only annoyed if it, if they're trying to sell something and they're like, well, I don't actually need that. And that's where the kind of tension comes in. So great marketing is really about really understanding and delving into someone's needs, desires, wants, all that stuff, and really empathizing and, and caring. Yes. But it takes so much time to do that. Absolutely. And it takes a level of data that is not just quantitative, is kind of really, really, the best marketing agencies do fantastic qualitative research. Yeah. And most people don't do that. Um, you know, smaller businesses tend not to do it just because they don't have time or resources. But I think that's, it, it's kind of, um, we we assume that marketing is bad because we only ever recognize the bad stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? It's like they say about good, you know, good design looks fantastic, great design is invisible. And I kind of think the same way about marketing. Great marketing is invisible. Yeah, People don't so realize true. they're being marketed to because it fits so effectively with their own view of themselves, with what they need. Uh, and for me, that is quite a sustainable way of working. The product might not be sustainable, but it's a sustainable way of working. Whereas if you're kind of saying to people, you've got this problem, it's really simple. Here's a, th you know, put, buy this thing and it will solve it. No one's going to be on board with that. <laughs> But it's that I think sometimes it's like the the lack of visibility of really fantastic, well thought out, well placed marketing uh, means that people think that marketing is just bad because they never see shitty examples of it. Absolutely, and I know it's it's maybe a bit of a, an extreme example, one of the bad ones that we see. But how do you think that uh, what we're seeing with bad pharma? Big Pharma, sorry, in America and the prices going up fits into that conversation. I mean, I just, I, it's one of those weird things where I'm like, medicine should be free. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's I'm like, so glad to hear that. <laughs> it's one of those weird things where you're like, it, I think sometimes what happens is we end up, people move the playing field or move the goalposts and they say, this is the game, right? Everyone has to pay for healthcare. That's the game now. And so you end up talking about it like that's the only option <laughs> yeah 
And it's like, there's not, there's a third way. There's always a third way. And so the idea, like I find um, when I was in America, I got some, you know, bought some magazines and all the magazines have got adverts for medicines in. Yeah. And then they've got these like two pages after it with all of the details about like whether it's been approved, (laughs) side effects, all this stuff are. And it's this weird like dissonance of, well, no one's going to read that for a start. No one's going to read two pages of like dense text like that. But also even the idea of medicines being advertised. It's like, if you're sick, I want you to be better. Yeah, it's so outrageous, isn't it? And it's, it's so, I find it kind of, I don't want to say irrelevant because I feel like that's dim- diminishing of it or dismissive of it, but it's more like, let's not pretend that that's, let's not pretend that we think that's ethical by Absolutely. discussing within the parameters you know, it's like with the, um, I didn't watch it because I thought my head might fall off the Tory <laughs> leadership debate last night. Oh, okay, yeah, I was like, at a gig, so I didn't, I didn't watch yeah, it. Yeah, no, I didn't watch it. I didn't watch it because I thought I'm going <laughs> to smash the fucking telly. <laughs> but you, you're like, look at these people sitting there. And we'd, it's like you're choosing a rotten apple out of a barrel of rotten apples. Yeah. Like, so why don't we just look at what other fucking apples we could choose? That's the thing. But it's, yeah. you kind of get trapped in this. Well, that's the way it is. You know, like, this is how things work now. It's like, well, what if they didn't? What could we do that's different? What's the third way? Yeah. I I feel like a lot of the most ethical people I know are so disheartened by the way they see big business conduct themselves that they they almost actively avoid taking any part in it, uh, which is a bit of a shame because the reason I want to have these conversations is to encourage people to see that there's a different way of approaching things and that we can approach business ethically and that in doing so, the more people we encourage to have these kinds of conversations, the more change we will see start to happen, even if that's slowly. Yeah, so are you saying there that the people you know, that the most ethical people you know, because they see the big bus- how big business do things, they don't actually even want to get into the idea of business Abs- at absolutely, all. Absolutely, yeah. Right. They, they find it so difficult to get out of, of the cycle they're in and embrace the idea that they could actually be part of that change, that sometimes overcoming the fears, which is something else I wanted to talk to you about anyway, overcoming mm-hmm. those fears that we have of, of getting to the point of maybe starting a business or trying to, to change the way the business we're involved with is taking place seems really difficult. Mm, it does. A, a friend of mine, it was really interesting recently because even when you work for yourself and you're trying to do things in the best way for you and the most ethical, sustainable way for you, I tend to say sustainable rather than ethical because I think um, I get it. I feel there's some difficulties around placing moral judgment yeah absolutely yeah so I think I think it very much is sustainable like can I continue doing tomorrow or for the next 10 years what I'm doing today without harm to myself people around me or the planet if the answer is no it's not sustainable stop doing it um but in terms of so my even when you're running your own business it's really easy to kind of fall into habits of treating yourself like a big business so like I remember when I started and I saw someone the other day talk about this when I started I'd come from a business where I had to fill out timesheets for every for what I was doing every 15 minutes of the day so I was doing that for myself for my own business (laughs) and you're like why I just don't have to do it but a friend of mine said to me the other day you just don't have to do your job like that and it's this weird freedom of going oh 
I could just do it differently. There's just another way. And it is an uphill battle, whether you're doing it within an organisation or independently. But then if you want things to change, change doesn't come easy. Like, we all know that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's so, yeah, the thing. yeah. And there's so many bad habits that we've picked up from how businesses like things we've seen done all our lives and then suddenly we think about it and we're like it's so unproductive to do it that way why yeah and, and we carry on doing them habits is a great way to describe them as well because I think if we say things like processes or like I said the status quo or the way things are it it kind of you need some way to get a crowbar in and pop it apart yeah. And if you can say habits, you know, we all had bad habits when we were kids, like biting your fingernails or whatever. And you eventually either grow out of them or you you train yourself out of them. <laughs> so if yeah. you can see what you're doing in, in a work context as habits, that means you can go, oh, okay, I've got some bad habits. For me, they are, I've assigned that moral judgment of bad. I would like to move towards good habits or I have unsustainable habits I would like to have sustainable habits so it kind of puts that crowbar in and lets you open up the conversation to say right what else could I do yeah that's the thing and it's I find it good to remember that the habits that we have end up being quite a good definition of, of who we are as a person uh, mm. they draw a, a, at least a caricature of, of what we are so the more so, bad ones we allow ourselves to pick up uh, kind of speaks for itself really mm, that's an interesting way of thinking about it yeah so one of the things I wanted to ask you is with this in mind the sustainable business in mind if mm. you had to to sell people on rethinking what they're doing and asking themselves whether it's sustainable how would you encourage them to go about this I think what I said just then I've said it a bit quickly but it's the question, can I, can I keep doing what I'm doing today in the same way for, say, the next 10 years and not, har and not harm myself, the people around me, or the planet or the community or environment, what, however you want to talk about it? And if the answer is no, if the answer is what I'm doing today, I can't sustain it for 10 years without causing damage to myself, the people around me or the planet, then it's unsustainable. And I, the reason I, f I, I think it's important to frame it like that is people don't see things like chronic stress as unsustainable or, you know, say people work in organisations where they're like working, say, 40, 50 hours, maybe 60 hours a week, knackered. Yeah. And, and the experience at work is very stressful and all those things. And they just think, well, you know, I'll just do it for a couple of years. And it's like the effects of doing that for a couple of years will stay with you for a much, much longer time. Yeah. So I think it's, for me, it's always about thinking, can I do what I'm doing today? If I did that every day for the next 10 years or whatever, could I do it without harming myself, the people around me or the planet? And for a lot of people, it's no. Now, what that means is if you ask yourself that question, you can start to make small incremental changes. So for example, if there's always a colleague at work that you're always like getting into arguments with and it's it's never being resolved and you're thinking to yourself, well, I couldn't do this every day for the next 10 years without <laughs> causing harm to myself or hit or the other person, you can say, right, well, let's change it. How are we going to change it and work on that one thing? It doesn't have to be, oh, I'm giving up 
you know, I'm becoming vegan. I'm going to live in the woods. I'm going to like check out of society. I'm not going to go on Instagram. It doesn't have to be that extreme. It's about it's about looking at every action that you're taking and saying, can I keep this up without really like fucking myself over? Perfect. And I I find it very, you know, the so if for example someone who starts a business, the first three years of a business or self employment are the hardest. That is when you're most likely to fail in terms of um, not sustaining an income or sustaining your health because yeah. the first three years are like, right, I've just got to push and push and see see what comes out of it. If you, But during that three years, it's about, right, well, if this was how it was for the next three years, what would I do? If this was like it was for the next 10 years, what would I do? And setting into place, like act, setting into motion activities now that are going to stay with you. So like I'm at a point now where I'm like four years into my business, made a profit each year, not a huge profit, but happy with it profit. And I've kind of come to the natural point where I've gone, actually, I want to change things. I want to pivot because I was thinking, looking back, I think, well, actually, if I do that stuff every day for the next 10 years, I am going to, what I'm going to harm is myself because I'm not doing the things that I really, really love. I'm not giving myself the time for my creative practice. I'm not doing X, Y, Z. That's the thing. So it's really, I don't think it's complicated, weirdly. I think it it's about, I don't know, human beings so, spend so much time worrying about the future and very little time constructing the future. So true, so true. You know, so instead of going, oh, God, I'm going to have to go into work on Monday and see that person again, and we always argue, okay, well, what could you do today to make sure the argument on Monday doesn't happen? That's And it's changing that that conversation we have with ourselves. Mm. Uh, and I, that's literally the research I've been doing recently is, is we, we spend so much time, as you said, worrying about the future, but how often do we ask ourselves what you've said? How will this decision I'm making affect myself Absolutely. now and in 10 years time? How, like, generally we maybe skip that bit and we worry about the future in a kind of existential it's happening at some point in the future kind of way. Well, I think there's a big, weird, there's this weird thing. I mean, humans are just contradictory creatures, <laughs> like we're bundles of it. But there's this weird thing of like feeling that we're really important and fe- and at the same time feeling like we have no agency. Like agency is yeah. a really important word to me in, in the work that I do in, in kind of the way I live my life is, I used to say to my students all the time, you're an agent of your own destiny. It's not like life's happening to you, that life's happening around you. It's like you have agency. And I think sometimes we kind of forget that, particularly in business or work-based situations where there's so many um, like cogs in the system, parts that are moving around. Yeah. But our agency and our influence is actually a lot greater than we think, particularly on our own thoughts, particularly on our own ways of behaving and acting. Um, but even on other people, you know, if we, this, this argument with this, this fictional argument with this person, I always use this, like, <laughs> this fake person called Tim from Accounts. He's okay. like, I use him for all of the bad examples. I feel really sorry for him. So say, oh, Tim from Accounts is being a shit to you, you think he is, and you're going to have this argument on Monday. It's like, well, what, what's the one thing I could do today? to make that connection with Tim better, to change how it is. What can I do within myself that I can then share with Tim? 
rather yeah. than like just assuming that nothing changes assuming that we can't do anything assuming that we're helpless i mean this for me is a a problem of of contemporary society in that we're no we're told or we're encouraged to believe that we are we do not have the capability to change things yeah um <laughs> so true and, and i'm you know people say oh well you know people go and, like i was on the anti-war march you know the protesting against Tony Blair he still bloody went of course he did but it changed the discourse around That's going point, like yeah. political uh, interests in that area of the world it changed the discourse around who it, who gets to decide on these things how do we trust our politicians and yeah that is a long game but like you know life is a long game sort of thing so I feel like we kind of we're kind of convinced that our actions don't have meaning but they have such influence they have such ability to to change the world and when i say the world i mean everything from the gray squishy blob inside your head to you know a hundred years in the future where your children's 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 children are kind of growing up um i think we're a lot more powerful than we realize and we we're quite frightened of of that really that's the thing that's the thing and i think these conversations are so incredibly important and having people like you as mentors is so incredibly important because the conversation needs to change Mm. and as you said we're so focused because of capitalism because of the society we've grown up in on the short game that we forget how powerful humanity is and how much capability we've got to change things in for the long game and how important that is Mm. I just it's the legacy we leave behind I think legacy is such a good word like I've been really thinking about it a lot recently and it's you know I was thinking about this today like people fiddling over just nonsense it's like I'm i this is sound you know I really try to practice non-violent communication with my uh, clients I'm always very like you know it's really important for me to listen and and I will always support them in their decisions and, and moving through that facilitating their de- their personal development and then there's a part of me that wants to kind of get on the internet and shout and be like I could not give a shit about your fucking Instagram profile (laughs) I couldn't give a toss about you getting a new car so relatable I like I don't care about that and it's not because it's not valuable to you it's because you have got the capability of so much more and such a bigger legacy you know your legacy it's like people say oh well what do it for the your kids or whatever your legacy for your children is not a car or a house. No. Your legacy no. for your children is, I did something that I cared about. I I am who I am. I believe in myself. I'm creative or an artist, and I live by that. I live by that um that rule. The greatest gift you can give. I mean, coming from a family where there was some real repressed artists, and there was a lot of um you do this because it's the right thing to do mentality. You know, you do this because it's socially acceptable. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, Coming from that family, thinking to myself, the greatest gift actually that I have had from my parents is when they did stuff that was purely for who they were. So, you know, my mum went and did a fine art degree at like in her forties, I think. And I remember my dad being a bit like, what's she doing? And, all, the, all this blither and um, 
I could t- even at the time I was aware that it was quite unusual for someone to do that. But seeing my mum's artwork and seeing what she produced, that was so her and just like really talking from her soul, that has had more impact on me, I think, in in a very fundamental level. That had more impact on me positively than anything they really said to me or, or, you know, make sure you work hard at school or any of that stuff. And that's incredible. I really, I feel like sometimes parents, I don't know, or, or you not know, even parents, managers is a really good example. Managers do a lot of parenting uh, in work or yeah. say if you're a youth leader or anything like that. You want to instill all these things in, in younger people or in the people you lead, leaders. They want to instill these things in people like, oh, work hard and make sure to, you know, really get your head down and focus on this and pull together. And it's like, what? I did this talk the other day. I was like, the what to some students, the one bit of advice I would give anyone is you live your life according to what you value. I don't, I, it's like, I don't think you really actually need anything else because most people value very similar things at the core of it. They want connection. They want love. They want security. They want creativity. They want happiness. It's not, do you know what I mean? It's, it's so not true. hard. It's so true. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's literally what I, I'm enjoying hearing people repeat over yeah. and over and over again on this podcast. And it is that that time to analyze ourselves that is important in, in coming to that realization mm. because it's so easy to have fake things we consider success or or we consider ourselves to be working towards. And generally, these are money. Like you said, a bigger car, a nicer car, a bigger house, nicer clothes. But when we strip it down, that isn't generally what makes us happy at all. No. What makes human beings happy is the same thing for everyone. In nonviolent communication, um, they talk they talk about a fundamental need that we have, and then we, we generate a strategy to try and fulfill that need. And what we often have, attention between people is arguments over strategy so my argument with people who are like buying a fancy house or whatever is an argument over strategy but our need is the same our need is security or our need is comfort yeah yeah so there's a lot of like that's what happens and I think sometimes if we you know me going there like I don't fucking care about your insurance I don't care about your big car I don't but what I do care (laughs) about is that that you that other person has a need and we differ on how to fulfill it but that's where the connection is underneath it so that's why I don't do those things that's why I don't go on the internet and shout about that stuff because actually underneath it I can see that we are the same that's yeah it's a it's a great way of putting it one of the things I I wanted to get your opinion on is obviously once we get in the habit the good habit of thinking about things in the way you've mentioned of thinking about whether our actions are sustainable it, it becomes easier then to to individually view things and put it into action. But what happens to someone that's that's coming at it at this fresh? How do they not get overwhelmed when they they analyze what they've got to change and it's a a big list of things? Oh God, I just think they will get overwhelmed. <laughs> I think there's like I think you know we really shy away from having difficult emotions, but it's okay to be overwhelmed. Excellent. I get overwhelmed yeah. sometimes. Like it's you know what I mean. It's it, it's not a problem to look at a big list and be like, oh my God, there's so much to do. The problem is letting, I think it's it's allowing yourself to um, fall back 
rather than go, do you know what? It is overwhelming. Right now I do feel overwhelmed. So what one thing can I do to help myself not feel overwhelmed? What one action can I take? And it's I really think it's moving it down into like baby steps. And, you know, the thing with sustainability is the more you know, the harder it gets. <laughs> Because, like, you know, I read an article. I'm a big crystal collector. Love crystals. Of course I know that I don't know where they come from. (laughs) Because I don't know where most of my stuff comes from. Because that's the current structure of society that we're living in. read this really great uh, article in The Guardian by Eva Wiseman the other day about some of the unethical mining practices behind crystals. So there's a couple of options there that I have. It's like, okay, well, I immediately get rid of all my crystals and never touch them again. Or I only ever buy ethically made crystals or I question it or whatever. But I've got choices. But that's like a tiny minor thing. That's the thing, yeah. So, But the more you know, the harder it gets in terms of everything. You start to question everything. There are some big things, you know, sustainably we know that people can do, which is um, moving to a more plant-based diet and reducing reducing the amount of carbon, mainly by stopping getting flights maybe don't drive a car but after that it's kind of like all little minute things and but it's because we're for me those are all things that are about environmental sustainability the environmental pillar of sustainable development yeah i actually think there's a huge number of things that we can do under the human social and economic pillars of sustainable development that we don't really look at so for example uh, social sustainable development includes things is about sustaining communities so that could be something as simple as going around your neighbor's house and connecting with them it could be volunteering at a local youth group it could be forming you know joining a facebook group for your local area and joining a like cleanup crew yeah on a human that's about human potential and individual skills what what they would call human capital but i would avoid calling it that because it kind of plays into a particular economic system but that's about personal development what can you do today today to create happiness for yourself in the future that is entirely within you yeah you know what i mean it's not based on anything external and as for economic it's about right let's readdress what money do i need to live what can i give away what can i you you know just asking questions around those other three areas rather than what it's like we get really focused on environmental as we should because it's not great right now yeah, yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> if someone is feeling overwhelmed i would suggest yeah take one small action or take the take the most influential action you can take that's a better way to describe it i love that so, that's great, so don't yeah. Don't like keep eating a steak a day and swap your earbuds for, you know, paper. <laughs> take the mo- take the most influential action you can take today for the future. And once you've taken that one, look to these other areas. You know, it might be that so many people I've met want to go back to school. They want to get into education. They want to learn skills. And that's human, the human pillar of sustainable development. Yeah. yeah. You know, that one thing you know, starting an online course or something in the evening, that one thing could do so much for your future happiness and your future quality of life. It's so true. It's so true. And I think something that I love that you talk about on your, in everything you talk about a lot is uh, embracing and pursuing our creative dreams as well. 
which yeah. I think is, is something else that is beneficial for everyone in so many aspects of life. And that unfortunately we're becoming so busy it's easy to to set aside I just yeah I find it I think because I when I was a kid the teachers would be like what do you want to be when you grow up and I'd say like an artist or a teacher and happy like those were the three things and I forgot about two of them you know when I taught but I didn't think about the other two and I think we think of creativity as a luxury, as time for creativity and art as a luxury. Yeah. yeah. But it's it's not. It's a fundamental part of being human. It's, you know, when it's like that Winston Churchill quote someone told me the other day about I think Winston Churchill was quoted as saying, um, when people were saying about like not save you know the art and culture was getting destroyed in the war by the Nazis or yeah. whatever and someone's like well don't worry about it and he's like no that's what we're fighting for yeah yeah so and true. I think this is it you know culture and art is it is the most unique creation that humanity has it's it comes from somewhere else I think my belief is it comes from somewhere else it comes from somewhere quite spiritual and quite deep within us and it is so fundamental to our ability to express ourselves and to understand ourselves, to connect with people. Art facilitates connection. So Even true, if yeah. you both look at a piece of art and go, I don't get it, great. You've connected with something in yourself or in the art or in the artist that is, is challenging you. So people don't have people don't have time for it because they think it's a luxury and because they think it's about being good at something. But for me art and creativity creative dreams are about expressing something and it's so obvious when we look at every civilization that's come before us and every culture that still exists something that makes us human allows us to heal is is that creativity when we look at the music yeah. the dance the drawings the everything that has happened through throughout society's time on earth I think the beauty we find in it is generally through its creative pursuits. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's it touches us. It touches us in a way that nothing else, not even like love from someone else, it touches us in a way that nothing else touches us on this entire planet, on the entire lifetime. Yeah. And this, there's a lot of barriers for people to engage with their creative dream and it's really easy for it to be crushed you know one comment from a secondary school teacher or a bully or a dismissive parent can stop someone looking at art for the rest of their life and I really think it's such a shame I feel I think it's a shame because finding a creative dream again for me and pursuing it I, you know, I feel like everything I've done in my life has been a type of creative dream. Yeah. Um, even if it, it seemed quite academic, whether it's been a, a drive for a creative outlet, expression, learning, development, finding those things and doing them, th- th- I find it very. Um, I feel when I think about people not pursuing that, I feel deeply sad and melancholy because the joy it has brought me is unparalleled um no amount of stuff 
no amount of great sex, great people, great food has brought me the level of joy um, that I have felt in dedicating myself to a, a, a creative expression of some kind. I think that's such a beautiful way of putting it. It really is. Because for me, my parents, as you said, my dad was brought up playing in bands when when he was young. And eventually when they became Jehovah's Witnesses, they put aside all their creative pursuits. And it was very much a family, as you said, that, that just didn't, that wasn't really looked at. And when I was into that kind of stuff, it was it was viewed as a joke, a hobby that you do on the side, and there's no importance given to that. And it, it is funny how, how comments that other people make, and you mentioned teachers, I had it from teachers, parents, lots of people, little jokes about how, what are you going to do when you grow up, just have a wall full of guitars and no money? Those kind of jokes, and you're like, well, really? Is How, how am I supposed to, to fill this emptiness that somehow is filled by creativity? when society yes. is telling us to move away. And yeah. if we follow their advice, and the same as I did too, then you do have this, this hollow, hollowness inside you that, is, that needs filling. Yeah. You, and it, everyone, anyone who's listening to this, will know that feeling. Yeah. Will know exactly that it's just something is missing. And it, I don't think it can be filled by anything but it's like a shirt and shape and you've got to fill it with the thing that fits the shape. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, so I don't know if you, I, I've said on social media and things, but I'm writing a book at the moment, um, which is all about this subject about people being artists and allowing themselves to be artists. Excellent. Um, one of the things is, the theme, one of the narratives in it is this idea that there are myths around artistry. There's a mythology around artistry. Now, in classical art history, which I've studied, there's a lot of things like the myth of the artist as like a separate entity, as a rebel. Da, da, da. But what I'm talking about more broadly in this book is this idea that we believe art and artists have to be a certain way. So art and artists have to be poor. <laughs> they have to be weird. They have to be isolated. They have to be misunderstood. They have to be lonely. They have to, you know what I yeah, mean? It's like absolutely. all these myths, some of which are kind of coming from that art history knowledge and some of which are more things that I've, I've identified as I've been working with people. But I think one of the biggest things is that what it, it stems from is that art and creativity is the one thing which our current economic structure of capitalism cannot hold. Art can be commodified in that something can be created, it can be sold. You have the whole art industry. I don't know if you saw that um, uh, Netflix film, Velvet Buzzsaw, I think it was called. I haven't yet. No, I but haven't. It's, I mean, it's terrible. Oh, okay. It's terrible. Maybe it's like, not but it's terribly, <laughs> it, well, it's terribly like kitschy. Okay. No, so that sounds good. Like, it's quite fun. But it's all about the art market, let's say. Okay. So art, as in a product, an artwork can be commodified in that way. But the pursuit of creativity and the expression of creativity and artistry, I believe, cannot be held by capitalism. And so all these myths are generated around it to make it really undesirable. Yeah. Like, well, if you do art, you're going to be poor. It's like, 
no fuckers saying that to Damien Hurst, are they? <laughs> and I'm not saying he's a great example for a lot of people, but no one's saying that to J.K. Rowley. Yeah, yeah. And there's all these things of like, yeah, maybe at the time people said, oh, I can't believe you want to write a book, da 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 da, da or you, I can't believe you want to, you know, cut up dead sheep or whatever. <laughs> and yeah, they will say that, say that at the time. But throughout history, that's been said to people, said to different types of artists, and then they've gone forward to do greater, bigger, different things. Of course. So this, I think one of the challenges with, with creative expression and, and acknowledging that you want to pursue a creative dream of any kind and become an artist of any kind is that the thing that you want to do is, uncut, is unclassifiable by our current economic system and culture. It can't understand it. Yeah, yeah. And that's completely okay. That is fine, yeah, that is fine. That is fine. So people people are going to have reactions to it which are difficult to manage because you're, you're doing something which cannot fit or won't fit or they don't want it to fit in something that they already understand, the rules. Art doesn't have rules. Artists don't have rules. And we forget that. So true, yeah. And I, you know, when I, I think it's so interesting you saying about your family becoming Jehovah's Witnesses and kind of giving up some of those creative expressions. You know, I'm not, I'm not um, an organised religion person. I am, I would say, I'm one of those sort of wafty spiritual people who there's various faiths that I have. Yeah, I can relate to that, yeah. One of them is that if there is anything which is a more direct expression of the spirit, universal energy, God, whatever you want to call it. If there is a more direct expression of that than creativity, I haven't found it. Yeah. And there's something really magical. You know, I don't know if you've read The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. I haven't, no, but I'll put that on my list. Book. Yeah, it's a fantastic book. So it's a 12-week course um, designed to sort of, I guess, reclaim reclaim the artists maybe within it's a it's a very specific structure in a way and and for me you know I read that book and I enjoyed it one of the reasons I'm writing what I'm writing is because I think there's a it's there's a slightly different take on it to be had now Um, and there's a slightly different my it's a for me it's about ownership of the role of artists whereas that book very much for me was about actually getting to the point where you feel when you're kind of not insular but you're allowing yourself to be an artist it's like yeah. anyway but yeah, her, yeah, book, yeah. her book's really interesting but he she in it at the very start says look creativity does not come from within and it does not come from underneath you you don't have to pull it up what you are doing is opening yourself and it's coming down yeah. and I think that's a really nice way to think about it is you're a conduit for something it's true yeah it's true and there's so many ways of viewing that. I mean, we're literally yeah. going through life just experiencing things and then expressing that in some way. But it is very strange when, when you think of think of it from generations from now, when someone listens to, to the music or someone reads the books or looks at the art, they have no connection to you as a person. For them, it could have been anyone, any person on this planet who went through those experiences and did that. And I think that's what the beauty of creativity is, that regardless of who looks at it and when they look at it, they will form a story out of it. 
and, yeah. and learn something from it. It's it's like transcendent. It's 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 it's. I love that phrase. It's like transcendent. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but it does. It kind of traverses space and time. And you know, there's a reason we sent a. We didn't just send a digital file into space that first time. We sent that that copper plate. You know, the golden plate. We sent a beautiful drawing, a yeah. beautiful rendering yeah. of something, uh, and we sent sound clips and music and Im- you know do you know what I mean it's like of all the things we could send into space art was one of them so if 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 yeah. that doesn't convince you of its importance that is the that, that was a thing that we wanted to tell aliens about you know and when we do time yes, capsules yeah. you know like in the 70s when Blue Peter were like every other week they're burying a bloody time capsule <laughs> yeah. what are they putting in it they're putting in stories <laughs> they're putting in kids drawings they're putting in cassettes that people have made they're putting in art you know it's it's the thing that we want to be remembered for and to give to people and it's so important you know art for me is a very very broad Anyone can be an artist. It's the medium you choose. So one of the sections in my book is called Working with Flowers. Yeah. So the idea if, you know, instead of saying I'm a florist, you could say I'm an artist and I work in flowers. It's a totally different conception of what you're doing. It's just the stories we tell ourselves yeah. and the stories other people have told us. Like this is how you phrase your job title. Yes. Uh, and you, and then you grow up thinking that you're not an artist and you'll even tell other people, no, I can't do art. And yeah. and literally, that's what you're doing every day of your life. I asked someone the other day, I said, oh, you know, are you, we were at an art exhibition. I said, oh, do you think you're an artist? No, he goes, oh, I can't draw. And I went, <laughs> that's not why I asked. <laughs> and it's that real, like, we've, we've, again, it's that whole thing of, like, these mythologies around what it is to be legitimate in art. What is yeah. What is a legitimate artist? What is legitimate creativity or artistry? It's like, newsflash, no such fucking thing. No rules. Whatever you want to work in. If you're an artist and you work in jelly, you're still a damn artist. Actually, I would love that. That's <laughs> you know what? That's jelly. incredible. Yeah. What's that? Um, isn't there a there's there's a company called Bombus and Par? I think they okay. make stuff in like mad like conceptual jellies. Ah, oh, that sounds wonderful. Anything anything that is especially food related and creative is just so mesmerizing to watch mm-hmm. generally. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we have stormed through this conversation. It is, it's lovely finding people that you can have these types of conversations with because they're so incredibly encouraging. And one of the reasons they're important for me is the last point that I kind of want to touch on in our conversation and sure. it's mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know you were incredibly involved in the Mental Health Awareness Week in May. Mm-hmm. And I just wanted to touch on what you did because I think it's such an important part of the conversation when we're talking about creativity and about self-analysis. Mm-hmm. So uh, during Mental Health Awareness Week, I went into, um, how many is it, six? I had to rearrange some of them because unfortunately I lost my voice during the week. But um, oh, nice. I, I, in the end, over a, a number of weeks, I did about six or seven hour-long talks in um, creative agencies. So some yeah. digital marketing, uh, PR, things like that. So I went and spoke to their people, their teams about my mental health journey, which includes 
a section where people can ask anonymous questions and I will answer them either about myself or or you know asking for advice yeah um, and then a little section at the end which is about some tips on language and mental health so how you can better support the people you're working with through the language that you're using which drew in uh, my 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 understanding and my training in nonviolent communication, as well as some of the techniques that um, I've developed with my friends, my community, my family um, over the years. And I did it for free. Bec- and I, also, I did it for free. And then what I also did was on LinkedIn, um, was post up some different videos of That's kind all, of, yeah. yeah, like taking parts from the talk and expanding them out. So talking about, you know, what is it like to have anxiety? What my experience of it's been? Uh, with depression the same thing how can you listen to people that you're working with more effectively when they're struggling with a mental health challenge so really kind of um and they're they're all on youtube on a playlist um and so yeah i did it all for free and the reason is because i think thought it was the right thing to do (laughs) it's not i realized it's not more complicated than that no, that's beautiful, yeah. And it, the biggest thing is at, in workplaces and organisational environments, um, they're the places where mental health challenges can occur quite in a, quite an extreme way because of the pressure that people are under. And they're also the places where people feel, I think, sometimes less willing to talk about these things because we believe that we have a persona we have a myth around how we should behave or look or act at work but there's still a lot of bullshit about you know leave your personal stuff at home like I think anyone who thinks they're not bringing their emotions and their personal stuff to work is bonkers um and I say bonkers like in a nice way (laughs) yeah yeah no absolutely one of the things I wrote I think was like if you think your team aren't bringing their emotions to work your unless your team are made of cardboard boxes then (laughs) you will be and we do even you know managers who pride themselves on being neutral they're not neutral they're bringing all of their stuff in because you're a human being but it's really difficult for people in organizations to talk about the mental health because of all these worries and prejudices Uh, and so my role is to in in that situation I saw myself as almost like the canary in the cage so I go in to say hey guess what I have mental health issues and I can work and be successful. And it allows people to, um, again, see that third way and it opens up. It's that crowbar, it opens it up so people know it's safe to talk about. And even if they don't talk about it with everyone at that moment, they they know that there is someone who's experienced what they've experienced or, or or similar to it. And they have a little more energy um to seek help if they need to or to talk to their manager if they need to so true Mm. so true So yeah it was a it was an interesting week and i think one of the organizational challenges of organizations is they say things like we're doing loads of stuff for mental health week we've got massages yoga and smoothie (laughs) smoothie days and you're like yeah it's not actually like mental health not quite no not quite all of those things are great for supporting your general health and well-being yeah. which can facilitate better mental health but it's not it's a very light touch approach and that's because the deep touch the hard touch is hard 
it's hard. So people skim over it yeah. instead and try and do the easy things, the easy solutions. And it's hard. I think one of the things that's that's important that I did iterate and reiterate in my talk is it's hard not because people don't want you to talk about it. It's hard because they care about you. Yeah. When we see yeah. someone crying, someone in our care, whether we're a leader or a manager or it's a client or just a colleague, when we see someone crying, upset, anxious, stressed, any of those feelings, our as humans, we are naturally empathic and we, we give a shit. It's yeah. really difficult to see someone else in pain. And that's, I think, often why we don't talk about it. That's often why we shy away from it, because it is just too difficult. And I think that's a very positive approach to way of looking at the whole thing as well. And I, I mean, I know there must be some organisations that are like, oh, I don't want to talk about it because, I don't know, it's loads of feelings. Even underneath that, <laughs> even underneath that, what I hear when people say that is, I, I find it difficult to talk about my emotions, so I'd prefer it if other people didn't talk about theirs. Yeah, yeah, that's Which so true. Underneath that is like, I, I want someone to listen to me. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, I negative, uh, sorry, nonviolent communication talks a lot about assuming, or one of the things we discussed when we did our training was assuming positive intent. And underneath it all, like I talked about, there's these basic human needs, and one of them is to be heard, and yeah. one of them is to be loved, to be seen. And underneath all of us, whatever our strategies, whatever our coping mechanisms is that. And I think sometimes what's happening is it's so hard for us to see people we care about, even, you know, adjacently over there, Tim and Account. So <laughs> hard for us to see them in pain that we just try and avoid it at all. Yeah. And it's about, just like I said before, it's allowing yourself to feel overwhelmed allowing yourself to be in pain and knowing that that's okay so this yeah so for me it's a lot about mental like mental health in in workplaces and and opening up those conversations about feelings and emotions and emotional experience is not about trying to make sure everyone's happy it's trying to make sure that everyone can feel exactly how they feel without shame yeah yeah and it's so important to to everything that we've talked about, which is why I wanted to sort of bring it up towards the end. Yeah. Because I feel it's very easy to look at all these things we want to work on, to look at sustainable business and, and changes we want to make within the workplace and within our own lives. And without actually talking about mental health and feeling like, you know what, I'm having a shitty week, I can talk to people about this without being able to, to help someone else who's in, in need, then everything else becomes more difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And vice versa, it all becomes easier if we have each other's back. Yeah. Sometimes I talk about, um, or I've talked about before, like a minus one, zero, and plus one experience. Okay. So experience of life. So there's no point trying to go from minus one to plus one. And minus one is like, I'm having a shitty week. And plus one is I'm having an amazing week and I'm changing the world and living a sustainable life right to go from zero minus one to plus one is too big a step in one go you need to go to neutral and I think it's about recognizing where am I and what's the next step where can I facilitate that upward movement rather than trying to make this huge leap like that's where overwhelming experiences come in I think 
I'm at minus one and I'm like, God, I'm having an awful time. Oh, I'm never going to be able to do anything because you're looking at the plus one going, well, I'm never going to get there. It's like you're going to get there once you've passed through zero, once you've passed through neutral, which is I'm okay. I'm taking care of myself. I've got someone to talk to, you know, very basic human requirements. So there's this there's this thing of like, you're absolutely right. We need to know that we're loved and supported and that we are okay to move forward and start changing things. And I kind of sense, unfortunately, that lots of people, lots of the time are operating in this minus one experience of life. Yeah. And what we're trying to, we're we're given so many plus one things. Whereas actually... And we see them all the time on social media. Sometimes, particularly with mental health, it's about getting to neutral. And then it's about getting to plus one. So it's again, for me, that all of my work, all of everything I do is just going right step by step, just one step at a time. And the steps you can take, again, pick the most influential step. So if you're at minus one, if the most influential step, if the most sustainable step you can do for your future is to go to therapy, go to therapy. If it's to speak to your partner, speak to your partner. It doesn't really matter what it is. It's about going, this is the most this is what I need to do right now. Um, but it is, it's hard to change the world when you feel shit about yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. So it needs to start with, with us. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And I think even 10 minutes with someone, you know, the power, I was talking about this the other day, the power of a compliment. <laughs> um, so true. I don't think people realize the the strength of a genuine, authentic, ideally skills-based or, or something like that compliment is just phenomenal, particularly for any group or person who has spent a lot of their life being ignored or invisible. Yeah. And, I, you know, I think at work, that's why it's such you've got this opportunity to, to compliment people on their skills literally all day, every day. So do it, just do it because it will change, it will change their life, it will transform them. And if they feel better, then they'll want to change the world for the better. And it's literally uh, on the last podcast I did with Emma Jackson, we were talking about the fact that we often sit there at work going, why does no one compliment anything I do? And Mm -hmm. we never stop to go, do I do this? Do I Mm -hmm. compliment other people's work on a, on a daily basis or or it can't be a one-sided conversation? No, you've got like, and it's it's like, it's weird. It's difficult sometimes because you might not have the energy or the patience. Yeah, so you've got to um, fill your own cup, and that's that's totally fine. Like that's totally understandable. And there's some groups of people in the world that have been historically oppressed and marginalised for so long. Their cup is so depleted that I don't of think course, we should be looking course. to them yeah. to go. Oh, but you need to do this, blah blah blah. Yeah. However, if you're, do you know what? If you're at zero and you're like, do you know what? I'm all right, but it could life could be a bit better. The way to make it better is to give. Hey, I'd agree with it's just that. To give agree one, with that. Just to give one thing, anything. It doesn't matter. Just, I don't know. I've started doing this thing. Whenever I see a musician, a busker, I give them a pound. It doesn't matter whether they're good or not. <laughs> because that, that's their art. That's their creative Yeah, yeah, no, it's lovely. So give, give. Like, I don't, I don't probably need that pound as much as... I don't need that pound in monetary value as much as they need that pound in the conceptual value that it's given them to say, I affirm what you're doing. That's a really nice way Does of that it. make yeah, sense? Yeah, that's beautiful. So, like, yeah. 
the compliment at work is not about, oh, Tim, I really loved how you put my expenses through really quickly. <laughs> that's not, that's, you know, that's a couple of minutes to you or, you know, a save you a job. The compliment to Tim is, that's I recognize you, I yeah. see you, I hear you, you are a good person. Yeah. So it's like the what it means to you might feel very minor and that's why it's so powerful for the other person but that in that moment when you if you're feeling okay and you think you know what life could be better what why isn't my life better give give something anything yeah it goes all the way back to what you mentioned at the start which is we often forget the power we have Mm. the power those simple words that really don't like they don't cost us anything at all and it's two seconds thought yeah and the effect it can have on someone is massive I was just thinking you know about how people complain that bus drivers never smile (laughs) and I thought about what you just said then about how many compliments do we give how many times do we smile at bus drivers so true yeah and I just thought like I I've recently really been like yeah thanks to bus drivers and really tried because I just felt like it and I'm getting really good responses from them that's the thing that's the thing yeah. And it is, it's, it's kind of not just being like affirmative or positive, happy, clappy without recognizing the difficulties in the world. Of course, like I think this podcast episode has demonstrated that we're critically and crucially aware of that. I think it's that if you would like to receive a compliment, try and give a compliment, see what happens. Beautiful. Yeah, I think mm. that's that's perfect. And I think that is a good place to uh, to end the podcast Great. because I think yeah. it's a... Uh, a lovely ending sentiment. Um, Eleanor, it's been so lovely having you on the podcast. I've really, really enjoyed our conversation. It's gone so fast. Thank you. You're really welcome. Thank you for inviting me. And I feel, when I think about the conversation we have we just had, I feel excited and invigorated. And it's lovely to be able to share ideas with people and, and explore them with new viewpoints. So it's, it's a real uh, pleasure. Thank you. I'm glad it's been very encouraging and I will obviously link to your site and link to everything. I encourage anyone listening to to check your website out and to ideally uh, take you up on, on the offer of buying you a coffee, yes, which uh, I, I will obviously link to. <laughs> um, and I will look forward to, to chatting to you again. Yeah, that'd be great. Thanks very much. I really hope you enjoyed that episode of Promote the Hell Out of It. I had such a great time talking to Eleanor. They are someone with such a beautiful view of the world, such beautiful things and important things to say. Please, please check out their website. All their links are below. Booking with a coffee with them, you will not regret it. If you did enjoy that episode, the thing that would help the most is if you tell other people about it. Share it on social media. Tell everyone you know who you think might be encouraged with it. And if you did enjoy it, then the last one I released with Emma Jackson, we cover some of the same topics, we expand on some of them, we talk about some different things, but I found it extremely encouraging, so you might too. Chat to you soon. All the things we can send